welcome to the Interesting Lawyers Podcast. Today, we have a very special and most interesting guest, maybe one of the most interesting guests I may ever have on this podcast, Fred Haddad. Fred, how you doing, man? Good, Russ. Good to see you. You look a little rough. I know you're a little tired. You said you just got off a plane from California. Yeah, I just flew in. You living out there these days? Uh, half and half. My son's in college out there. My wife's out there um, working, so I go back and forth when I'm not in trial here. I don't ever want to retire, so I go back and forth. That was going to be one of my questions, um, but let's start at the beginning. So you've practiced about 50 years down here? Going on 50, yeah. Mostly in Florida, but I know you've tried cases all over the country. Yeah, I've tried cases in like probably 30 states, but mostly in Florida. But mostly criminal stuff? Very rarely will I do a civil. I did when I was young, in the old days, when before actually it was before the smugglers that really got hit. Uh, I had Sandstrom and Paul Hodge's partners, and Hodge was a civil lawyer. So I did that occasionally. I would do his cases for him. And I would try a couple of, uh, I did some false arrest cases. We defended a medical mal. Sandstrom had the first million dollar verdict in Broward County. And so we worked on that. It was an aviation case. I did a lot of aviation work when I started out. Yeah, most of these guys are either retired or have passed on. And yeah, Sandstrom's dead. Hodge is 104. Huh, wow. Yeah, he's still alive. You're like the last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I think, uh, let's see, Dave Bogenshoes is still practicing, and myself, and I think that's it. He was a prosecutor when I started. Lyons retired. All the rest is gone. My best friend down in Miami, Steve Bronis, retired. He was, I tried the Irish Republican Army case with him, one of the nicest guys in the world. Yep. Zimmet's still working. He and I were together for like close to 30 years. Yep, Bruce Zimmett, also one of my professors at the law school. I'd love to have him on. Maybe you could help me oh, get a hold of him. He'll do it. So, Fred, um, let me start with this. Uh, I was up north somewhere, and someone said to me, oh, you're from Florida? Let me ask you a question. Um, are all the lawyers in Florida, like, really, really tall? And I said, no, what the hell are you talking about? And he says, because everyone from Florida says they have the biggest lawyer. But, you know, when I think of the biggest lawyer, the, the whole 27 years that I— practiced, you were always considered to be the biggest lawyer on the criminal side, yeah. right? You were, the other, the other um, legend about you is you were the only lawyer who could get away with not wearing a tie in court. And I don't just mean state court, I mean federal court. Yeah. So how, is that still the case? Yeah, I don't, uh, I've changed a little bit as I got older, but I think when I hit 50, I started getting a little more mature and, and wearing a tie in trial. But I'll tell you a funny anecdote about not wearing a tie is, um, I'll tell you a couple. One of them was Jose Gonzalez, who in my mind was the finest federal judge there was. Is, I think he's still alive, he's just a senior. And I was representing Ron Cacciatore, who was number two in the Broward Sheriff's Office, who was charged with uh, some money laundering, some stuff related to uh, an alleged forged will or something. And he was indicted by the F Brian McCormick and all those feds. And um, so Ron was an extremely good-looking guy and beautifully dressed. Of course, they say he made a lot of money. So he anyway, we're getting ready to go to trial, and Bruce Emmett had his wife. And I told Ron, make sure you dress up real well. And he said, okay. So we walk over to court. I'm in a uh, polo shirt that has Bimini Big Game Club written on it and an old jacket. And we walk in, and, of course, they they picked the jury to federal courts and stuff. And 
George Gonzalez looked at me. He knew what I was doing. So I had I had catch Tory Care in a briefcase. He sat down, and we sat there, started picking the jury, and finally he decided to introduce everybody. And when he said, "This is the defendant, Cacciatore," and he stood up, and this is his lawyer, Fred Head, and I stood up, you could hear a gasp in the jury. And he this, gave was, a, this was a trial. Yeah, this is the trial. And, and uh, he said, "Okay, you each got a couple of questions to the lawyer." So I got up and I said, "Okay, how many were sure beyond a reasonable doubt I was the defendant?" And uh, <laughs> everybody raised their hand, and of course, we got an acquittal after that. It helped a little bit to just show the jury their perceptions. Yeah, but first everything. of all, I mean, they have dress codes. I know they still have dress codes even on Zoom hearings, but how did you get away with it? We started with Sandstrom, started, and it went up to the Supreme Court. So you're talking about Ray Sandstrom, Ray who Sandstrom, was your original partner. partner. I, I was with him from my second year of law school, and he didn't wear a tie. It went up to the Florida Supreme Court. He got, in trial, he got held in contempt for he not wearing a tie? He got held in contempt for not wearing a tie by a judge. The day he got held in contempt, I was in a hunting jacket because I was going hunting because <laughs> nobody liked Ray. So it was just a chance. He didn't take anything from anybody. He didn't care who he fought with. He didn't care what he said. He didn't care who he pissed off. And uh, and neither do you. Oh, he and I fought like cats and dogs. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, that, that went up to the court. And then all of a sudden, and particularly because Back then, not a lot of air conditioning in the summertime everywhere. So they started changing the code that no one had to wear a coat and tie in the summer. I never did anyhow, summer or winter. And I still, just when I go to trial, I'll wear a tie now. Well, that's that's very nice of you and considerate. Well, I'm a little old to be sitting like, like, a, like a hippie. So. Well, you're so old that uh, weren't judges and, and people allowed to smoke in courtrooms when you started well, out? When I started out with, I could particularly remember... Uh, smoking in courtrooms. I remember picking a jury with Tom Coker and all the jurors had ashtrays. The courtroom was so thick with smoke, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I'd light up. We used to do the old trick I did once in a while of putting a paper clip in a cigarette so that the ash would stay up and people would look at that instead of paying attention to a witness. Right. But, yeah. but Fred, you know, you've always had a really large personality. How do you think that has played in to your success and the legend that still exists around you? To this day, when I ask people, you know, who do you think the best, lawyer, best criminal lawyers are, you know, in South Florida, at least, your name is always one of those names. Eric Schwartzreich is coming up a lot he's as well. He's coming up. He's a pretty good lawyer, too. Yeah, he's yeah. coming on the show as well. So, you know, was. I think I got Eric by telling him that you were going to be on the show. So I hope he listens to this. Um. I don't know. It was uh, it was Roy Black said I had more balls and brains sometimes, but uh, it was just I I just wouldn't take anything. I didn't care, and uh, I was all for my client. I wouldn't put up with anything. I mean, I told prosecutors go to hell. I wouldn't talk to them. It didn't matter to me, and uh, I was very fortunate uh, growing up to grow up in a town with a lot of great people. So. That people I meet every day and part of my life when I quit high school you know and and then I uh got bored so I went back but I came down to Florida when I quit high school then I got out of high school before I went to college I came to Florida and I worked on the beach and I met a ton of people both in Miami Beach and uh Fort Lauderdale I worked at the at the old uh sandbox bar these places back then and all the people I met that I hung around with then all became smugglers, and I became a lawyer. So I got very fortunate 
starting out with, uh, besides Ray having a, a good clientele, I had people coming to me because I knew them from the drinking in the bars and hanging around the bars and stuff. And uh, it, all, it all bloomed from there, I guess. You're talking about um, the 80s, the booming 80s, when a lot of people were... 70s. Or 70s and 80s, when people... There's a lot of drug smuggling going on yeah. into Florida um, from other countries, and, and there was a lot of, a, a lot of prosecutions. So I know you were big on that drug yeah, scene. I, yeah, it was great. I, uh, great for you. Yeah, as great. a lawyer, it, it was fun too, um, especially the marijuana smugglers. I'm still friends with a ton of them. I have breakfast with a couple of guys that I've known, going on 50 years, and we still have breakfast together. I have uh, uh, my, my best friend in grammar school and high school was one of the first guys to fly in a load of cocaine, and he's still alive. In fact, I just talked to him yesterday. But so these people came to me, and then they'd get arrested in different parts of the country. And they'd call me to come out, so I started getting established. And uh, that's how you built the whole national thing. Yeah, I went uh, from guys that got arrested here and there, and then I started getting calls to go different places. Yeah, and, I, I know you've represented a lot of high-profile people. In fact, yeah. um, there was a time when you actually bought a house across the street from me in East Fort Lauderdale, and I remember uh, you, there was a moving truck there, and there was some guy helping you unload it. And that guy turned out to be Mark Duper, the great Miami Dolphins receiver, one of the two Marks, and, yeah. you know, set a lot of records, still very well remembered, at least here in South Florida. And being starstruck, I was thrilled to meet him. I didn't think I would meet him helping you move into your house. Can you tell our listeners how that came about? Well, how did Mark Duper end up helping you move and unload your moving van into your house? Mark got indicted for cocaine, trafficking in cocaine. And um, with his brother-in-law. And I brought Bruce in to represent the brother-in-law. And Bruce um, Lyons? Bruce Zimmett. Oh, Bruce Zimmett. Yeah. Uh, and we went to trial and argued an entrapment defense. And it was kind of funny because Judge Marcus, who's now, I think he's the chief judge of the 11th Circuit. Or, no, Carnes is chief judge. But Stan Marcus is up there um, and it was a typical undercover tape, and the language was horrible. And uh, what do you mean by that? Oh, the swearing, of course. Oh, it's a drug deal. These people don't talk like the, they're in a in a church. And um, so the prosecutor was he's a federal bankruptcy judge now. I can't remember his name. He's going through it, and he's going this mf this that and the other. You know, they're not swearing. And Bruce says to me, "You can't swear in front of Marcus. You just can't do it." I got up there, first thing out of my mouth, this motherfucker said this, is this what you're talking about? Marcus looks and he just goes, not worth it. And uh, so we went through that and we argued the entrapment and uh, Duper got acquitted. And I told him if I acquitted him, I didn't want to pay for a moving van. He was moving me and he laughed and he said, sure, I'll do it. And he did. Him and uh, one of the other guys. You probably wasn't expecting that one. No. I, I had heard through the grapevine that they basically had him dead to rights, but you walked him on an entrapment defense. Yeah, no, they had him dead. And uh, it was it was entrapment. It was good. It was, it was uh, well played, let me put it that way. It was well played, but, you know, it's no secret that you have a way with juries. You have a way of connecting with juries, of persuading juries. And what is that special sauce? You know, this podcast, by the way, not just for lawyers, uh, but, you know, my goal is to showcase legendary, prominent people like you, as well as the up-and-comers. I grew up. So give us some pearls of wisdom here. My family was wealthy. 
I never acted that way. I went to, I, I got thrown out of prep school immediately within a week of going, went to a public school in a mill town and made friends with everybody. And I, everybody and I, I we were all friends. And, uh, you know, then I quit school. I worked in a foundry. I've worked in factories. I've done everything. I used to race cars. I built car motors. I built, worked in garages. So every time I'm picking a jury, no matter what they're, they've done for a living, I've done the same thing at one time or another. And uh, we talk about things like that so that, you know, not some esoteric picking a jury what, where you throw out some of the theories of law, but I try to put it into a, something that's uh, every day that they can understand. And then I throw stuff in that, you know, judges go berserk at me, but what, what do I care? What do you mean they go berserk? What well, do they, they do? don't like that. I'll, I'll throw in some anecdote here or there. Or something, just something to uh, not curry. Well, maybe curry favor is what it might be, but you know that's part of trying the case. It's your personality that does it. You uh, you see any good lawyer? Look at the old racehorse Haynes, or uh, what's the guy in Wyoming? Christ, he had a ranch near mine. Um, oh, I can't think of his name now. Uh, Jerry Spence? Jerry Spence. All those guys. They tell stories. It's a personality. Yeah, it's you all know, about the storytelling for sure. When the Chicago 7 were there, and Bill Kunstler was down in the Haven, that's where I lived, and he just said a very smart thing. Everything is street theater. The jury just wants a show. They want to see who does. And, you know, at the end of the day, whoever puts on the best story wins most of the time. Is that is that what you attribute your success to because you're such a great storyteller? I don't know. I guess we just... I, I just don't give a shit about a lot of things. You know, I, I'm only worried about my client. I, I never, I've never been held to contempt because I don't violate the rules. I've been threatened a lot of times, but, um, but, but it's personal. It's some personality. Yeah. You know, I know that I've had, and I'm not bragging about it, but I'm, I've just had it happen. One case I tried was Alan Ross, who unfortunately died young of, of cancer. We had a murder case that was 20 years old. And he told the other lawyers, when this case is over, the only person the jury's going to want to hear from is Fred for argument and for cross-examination. And the jury's told uh, a couple of the lawyers, why didn't Fred do it? And one of the lawyers usurped it from me. And I just said it wasn't worth the fight. So I don't know. You know, you do it so many times. I've tried probably 600 trials. You get kind of comfortable doing it. Wow. Why yeah. are you still doing it? You don't, I, I don't, you I don't have to it. do it anymore. I love it. Well, My wife says to me, and you know, she lives in Newport Beach. Well, we live in Newport Beach, and I come back to Fort Lauderdale to work because I like working. She said to me, if you, if you had to go a month without being in a courtroom, you're going to die. You'll drop dead of boredom or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you just live for it. And I still do. I was over to the courthouse this morning. I can't wait to get there. Yeah, and you're lucky because on the civil side, I know most uh, hearings – uh, and, and even some trials are by Zoom. Yeah. And, you know, I work with a lot of civil firms, and the problem is that you can't train a young lawyer on Zoom. And young lawyers can't um, plant the seeds of relationships or develop those soft skills dealing with other lawyers or with judges on Zoom. No, Zoom is horrible. Yeah, and I've some got, of these young lawyers have never even been to court live. Everything's been on Zoom. I've got a hearing today at 1.30, uh, and I'm trying, getting ready to try start a three-month RICO trial two, three-month RICO trial. And the main witness, one of the main witnesses allegedly has cancer, probably has cancer, and they want to do it by Zoom. And I absolutely 
am opposed to that. So they want they want the witness to appear live at trial by Zoom? By Zoom or, or whatever their other stuff Right. Is. I know a lot of civil judges will permit that. I know it's discretionary, yeah. but a lot of them will permit that. I know, that, But I know that in, in criminal cases, since the defendant has to be there present, so do you. So most of your hearings in your criminal cases continue to be live, right? Yeah, they're mostly live, and I want, I want witnesses live. It's impossible to really cross-examine a witness on a, on a Zoom. On a TV set. Yeah, I mean, I like to walk around, you know, when, when I'm working and not stand still just, just because it just makes me more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I know in some courts I have to stand at a podium. I despise it. I, I try to walk away from it. I tried a case in North Carolina. They don't even let you stand up in the federal court. I was up in New Bern, and uh, that was, you know, that's an impossibility. If, if you're a real trial lawyer. Um, the judge makes the rules, right? So the yeah, judge up there, ju just strict judge like makes that. The rules. There's not much you can do about it. And when you're in federal court, God makes the rules because that's what they are. You know, the old joke that, you know, uh, something was going on and, and they said, knock it off. That's God's acting this way. He thinks he's a federal judge, you know, and, and it was that. That's and the way it is. I know they have virtually endless, boundless uh, power. Yeah. You know? They could, they could be fine. I mean, in a long trial, you get you get to relate to them. And uh, I know I tried a case up in Atlanta with uh, Judge Vining, who was deceased. Now, we tried a big racketeering, criminal, continued criminal enterprise. They trial in three or four months. And um, there was five defendants, and one of the lawyers was co-counsel with me because there was a couple of witnesses I couldn't cross-examine because I represented them. And, uh, we were there, and the lawyer said to me, and he knew me from another couple of cases, he goes, Fred, this judge is not going to put up with you. You can't, you can't joke around or make... I said, I'm not going to sit in a trial for five months. There's, there's 20 murders in the, in the week. I said, I'm not going to sit in a court. I can't be that serious for all of this. Blah, blah, you know, because I got a jury. And then we had 20 people with the alternates. We had helicopters outside. They were afraid somebody was going to break the guy out and everything else. So this guy comes up to testify who was, uh, he's dead now. He's allegedly a mob guy. And he came in with his glasses, and he had permission to come and testify because he said my client did something to him. Anyway, he's up there talking and everything. And I'm laughing, and t I get a cross-examine, and the co-counsel says to me, don't do it. And I just got up, and I said, excuse me, Don Corleone. <laughs> <coughs> prosecutors went ballistic and uh, the judge looked and he knew it's going to be a long trial he just looked at me smiled and said lay a better foundation so it got it got the trial off and the trial went very smoothly for everybody except my client you know fred they say that a good lawyer knows the law but a great lawyer knows the judge is there any truth to that and how has that it's played both. out in your career it's both you know i do all my own appeals I've done hundreds of them, so you have to know the law. Sandstrom, when I started with him, as he and as a law clerk, was doing appeals. He said you can never be a trial lawyer unless you've done appeals and you do your own appeals. The feds used to always have to do their own appeals to prosecutors to learn the law, so that's true. And you you've got to be able to read your judge and know what they're like. I mean, I always wherever I'm going, I try to find out about the judge. I uh, I know they could do some stuff. I know that I had a judge in Oklahoma who uh, case ended up in the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, just 
didn't like anybody. He let me alone. But uh, he, he was just, you know, you know your judge. I got a phone. I talked to some people. This is how you handle the judge. You do it with everybody. How you're going to act. You know, you get some of these old federal judges. Christ, I've had an 80-year-old federal judge didn't know where he was half the time. I had a judge up in Cleveland who uh, <laughs> I was in front of him once. I showed up about 25 years later, and he said, I didn't like you 25 years ago. So, <laughs> you know, it happens. Wow. I know you've represented a lot of high-profile um, defendants. Uh, Mark Duper certainly fits in that um, bracket. Can yeah. you just drop some names of some of the other um, people you've represented over the years? Bobby Brown, who Whitney Houston threatened to sue me over my representation there when I fired him. Um, oh, God, I don't know, Melly, a bunch, a ton of people. I can't even tell you. Yeah, I know there's a murder trial going on right now with a rapper uh, called YNY Melly. Yeah. You're involved in that case? I'm involved. I have the co-defendant. Yeah. yeah. They had to separate them. So I try it next. If they ever get through, they're in there. They're starting all over again. They had a mistrial after the first trial, and then the second trial's been going on for five mo four or five months, I think. And now they're starting all over again with another jury panel. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll try that. So you also probably do, on my 80th birthday at the rate it's going. Well, that wouldn't—that's not long off, is it? Not far off. Yeah. But you're one of these guys. You're going to keep going until, you know, you're going to—you're going to die in the courtroom. Is that I your, hope. Uh, I, I die wish? in the courtroom. I know Plato Chakaris up in uh, D.C. was still trying cases in his 80s. Albert Krieger was as good in his 80s as he was in his 50s. Um, a whole bunch of them are. If you look around at what's going on now, and you look at the. Uh, Lawyers that were hired early and, and, and all the stuff in D.C., they're all in their 70s and 80s, and they're all practicing as, as heavy as they ever did. Um, you know, I think Abby Lowell's in his 70s. Uh, Reed Weingarten's in his 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 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 Jerry Goldstein out in, Cal in California. I mean, Texas is close to 80. Uh, the guy up in New York City, well, I can't think of his name now. He defended the Black Panthers in the 60s. Um, Jerry Lefcourt, he's got to be 82, 83 years old. He's still mm -hmm. working every day. All these guys still work. Yeah. Once you get doing it, you can't stop. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, what are you doing? I, you know, I've fished everywhere I've ever wanted to fish. I've caught every fish I ever wanted to catch, except one stupid spearfish keeps me from a royal slam. But, I mean, how much are you going to fish? I lived in the Keys for years. I had a house there for close to 50 years. I'd go bone fishing. I don't care anymore. You know, I've caught it all. You've done it all. So I go once in a while. I just, my kid and I just fished in Mexico. But, you know, I said, I told him after three days, we caught enough fish. I want to go back to work. He said, you want Right. You Speaking know? of fish, a criminal lawyer I know, in his office, he has like a, a bass on a, a mount. And it says, there's a plaque underneath here that says, I opened my mouth and got caught. Oh, yeah. That's true. Everybody did. That's a very famous thing people tell their clients. So you end up representing a lot of people who open their mouth, run their mouth, or yeah. maybe they're on a wire or whatever. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Some, some crazy stories. I know you also do stuff in state court as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, when I practiced, uh, I always did well against the older, more experienced lawyers, but it was the young guys I had a problem with and, and the young ladies. They, I found them more unpredictable, and I don't know, I just had a harder time with them. And they, what's they, your experience with them? There's way too many lawyers now, so they're not being trained properly. And uh, it's competitive, I guess, in, in the places. I only deal with prosecutors mostly. 
some civil. I mean, every time I have a civil case, uh, I think, did you do one with me with a doctor up in Palm Beach? And, I think we did. And I sent out an email because I didn't know how to use emails, and I said what a fucking asshole the guy was. <laughs> and the email went to the judge <laughs> and to everybody else because you called me up and said, hey, you're not supposed to hit send all. And I think the, there was a woman doctor we were representing. I think you were on that with me. It's possible. I know we had a little bit of cross-pollination in addition to the fact that you represented me. In fact, you are the best lawyer I never paid. Yeah. And, and is, oh, it true? Is, paid? It, is it true that you don't charge lawyers, basically? No, I don't charge lawyers. That, uh, Why not? Professional courtesy. I don't know. Uh, in fact, uh, the Broward Review was doing an article about me and Dave Bogenschutz. Because Dave represents all the judges. I represent all the lawyers usually when they're in trouble. They come to me because Dave can resolve things. I don't resolve shit. My personality's not too You'd good. You'd rather just go try the case. Well, I, my personality's not too good. I'm not going to kiss someone's ass for anybody. But uh, they said to me, you don't ever charge lawyers. And I said, no. And they said, and I was representing a judge at the time. They said, do you charge the judges? I said, no. They said, why not? I said, because they're just lawyers who couldn't make a living. And... Uh, <laughs> Mark Spicer called me up, or Mark called one or two, and said, you're the biggest asshole I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but uh, it was funny. So that's nice. But but how, how do prosecutors generally, those who don't know you, who haven't worked with you, how do they respond to some of the, your antics or your tactics they, or whatever you they, want to call know, it? I, not they, I don't know. They, uh, they usually know who I am for some reason before I get there. And that sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not. I mean, you know, it's covered up a small group of people. Yeah, but they know you're formidable. They know what you're capable of. Well, yeah. I mean, I, a couple of prosecutors still tell the story. That if a main witness is on the stand, I'll go sit outside. I already know what they're going to say. I've had a deposition or something in a state case. I'll go sit outside, just look at the courtroom. Jurors aren't listening to the witness. They're looking to see what the hell I'm doing outside the courtroom. Exactly. Yeah. And that's worked well for you? Yeah. When I've done it, yeah. That's a great performative thing. What other great performative tips have you done that uh, you can I pass on to the next generation I, I, of lawyers? I don't even know what I could say. I've just, uh, it just, it's actually, it comes naturally. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know I'm doing it half the time. I remember me at Bernstein said to me one time, Jesus, do you have to swear so much? Because I swear like a trooper, and I didn't even know it. I said, I was swearing? She was, yeah. I said, oh. You're talking in court? Yeah, it was during our final argument. I got a little carried away, and uh, I have forgotten all about it. But, you know. So I I, I remember uh, a time when you were representing some alleged um, terrorists um, from the Middle East, and well, I know that while you were picking the jury, um, you used your own Lebanese heritage um, uh, in in the questioning. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I was representing somebody. That was when. Uh, so the guy sent someone over to meet Osama bin Laden, I think. I don't remember. I, I did a bunch of the Middle Easterners. I, the only trials I remember are the Irish, because my mother's Irish. My mother was a, a large contributor to the Irish Republican Army, so it's the only time she acknowledged my existence as a lawyer is when the IRA hired me, and I represented them for years. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I had heard during the, the trial I was talking about where you got up and your first question to the panel is, who here hates Arabs? Oh, and, then yeah. you, and then you raised your own hand yeah. and you said, I hate Arabs and I'm an Arab. No, I'm Do you Lebanese. remember that? Lebanese or Le or I'm like Lebanese. It. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was with Judge Hurley. As I recall, we were doing a, a trial. And uh, in fact, 
one of the ladies I accosted said, yes, I lived in Saudi Arabia for a couple of years. I can give every Arab a fair trial, blah, 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 blah. And I said to the other lawyers, I don't like her. And they said, we're keeping her. I got outvoted. Before they swore the jury, the judge called us all in and said, we have an issue. And uh, what happened? And uh, the marshal said out in the hallway, she says, I can't wait to get those Arab bastards. <laughs> you know, so it was just something I felt. So. Yeah. You need a break? No. Is that a new client calling you? No. All no, right. it's the news about what's going on in the world. <laughs> you deal with the media a lot? You talk to them a lot? I try not to. I've never been, I've never liked it. I've never had an interview done. I wouldn't let them. They've wanted to write stories about me. I've never let it get done. Have you ever been on a podcast before? Nope. Really? No, I well, won't do that stuff. I'm doing it for you. Why are you doing it for me? What's so special about you'll me? you'll make a lot of money and pay me a fee. <laughs> God willing. With interest, it would be It would yeah. be a lot. Yeah. No, it's just, uh, you know, we've been friends for, what, for close to 40 years. I don't admit to that publicly, but now that it's out there, yeah. uh, I suppose that we have, giving away my own age. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, well, I give away mine, and I hate it, but, you know, that's what happens. So is there any kind of criminal case that you will not take, that you will not represent someone in, or? Anybody who's hurt a kid, that won't do child molesters. Um, I very, unless it's something I have no choice but to do. I don't want anything to do with them, or, or rape, you know, something like that. I don't ever saw a kid that needed molesting or a woman that needed to be raped. I hope they kill the fuckers. That's, got, I, that's way off bounds to me. Yeah, I know they don't do well in prison from what I hear. No, they shouldn't. But, but you did once tell me that all publicity is good publicity unless you're a child molester. Yeah, not true. Yeah, you, there's no such thing as bad publicity unless you're getting arrested for child molesting. You look at these people that are getting arrested for porn. They're not doing too well either. Same thing, because they're all getting the kiddie porn. That's the only thing they prosecute. It turns my stomach. Yeah, I know you were briefly involved in the uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, case, uh, and I also know that they're releasing all of these documents, and some names are coming out. Um, and have you been contacted by anyone about no. that? or Because I think the talk is that there could still be more prosecutions. You know, he's dead. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's in prison. Uh, but there are these other people who I, I, are I out really, there. I really don't give up. My daughter, Tanya, as you know, represented Epstein for a long time and, uh, on the civil stuff. And she said some press called her up. But I, uh, I was brought in for the civil case because of the—that's one of the few civil cases I handle because I do know how to do civil. I've done a lot of it. And a couple of his lawyers recommended that he ask that he come to me to do the—where uh, his former lawyers had sued Brad— who was your former partner and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Miller's old partner. Just Jimmy just died. Uh, I know. I didn't know his partner though. It, it's it's the it's the big uh, uh, big firm. Oh my God, the guy David Boyce, and and that, that was that lawsuit. So Epstein hired me mainly to cross it too. And the main thing it was uh, to post Brad for two days. Well, but, that must have been fun. Yeah. So what, what was Jeffrey Epstein like as a client that you could share with us? I didn't pay. Any, I didn't know much about him. I, uh, well, let me put it this way. You know me. I don't let anybody tell me what to do. Nobody tells me where I'm going to be, how I'm going to be, or what's going to happen. So the worst thing you can do is tell me I got to do something if you're a client. And I made that clear. I don't take any, no client tells me shit. You know, I have people like that who, all kinds of people like that call me up, uh, you know, well, can you meet me here? I said, no. 
That's the last thing. The first thing you can do is ask me to meet you. I don't care how much money you have. I'm never going to you. Mm-hmm. That's how you start the relationship, you know. Fortunately, I've done well enough. I've never needed the business. So I can always say no to everybody. You know, I, I, there's no case I have to take if I don't want to. And I've just walked off one this year. First time ever, I hated the guy so much I returned the fee. Really? Yes, yeah, something I'd never do. The guy just annoyed me. Because he called me up and he said, I want this done, this done, and this done. And his, he was a retired lawyer. And he had another lawyer t- advising him. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, come and get your fee and your file. No, ever darken my door again. I won't have anything to do with it. <laughs> I'm the boss, and if they don't like it, don't hire me. I make that clear. Wow. Another unique thing about you, um, confirmed by D. How long has D been working for you? Close to 30 years, 28 years. Amazing. She was actually my ex-wife's secretary, and my ex-wife was a PD. Well, you have many ex-wives, so which one are we talking about? Yeah. Well, my first wife was a Ph.D., my second wife's a J.D., my present wife's an M.D., and I told her if I ever get another one, it's going to be a G.E.D. <laughs> these, these professionals are a bit much. <laughs> no, your, your, your current wife is wonderful. I know yeah, you've been together yeah. uh, for a long time. 20, How she puts years. up with you, I'll, I'll never know. How does she put up with you? She doesn't. She's, oh, she's a very strong woman, you know, and she just says what she thinks. She... Uh, Certainly never plays to my ego, but she just, we just get along. I mean, I mean, you know, I was just out there in California for six weeks. And, uh, you know, we don't usually spend six weeks together. Because she, like I say, she lives out there back and forth, but it was nice, you know. Yeah. She uh, gave up doing surgery and is now uh, medical director for uh, United Health. Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of work for her because she did surgery for 20, 22 years, 23 years, 25 years. So it's nice. So, Fred, let me let me ask you this. And without getting political or taking sides, you know, my, my policy is always I don't mix uh, friendship with politics. I don't get into political discussions. I respect everyone's right to have their views, whatever they may be. However, um, what do you think about, just generally speaking, all of these federal prosecutions going on and the way that they are being perceived and handled uh, by the public and discounted by many as, well, no big deal? You know, this is, this is the year um, somebody texted me last night and says, well, this year we're going to find out the truth. And I, uh, you know, my response was, indeed. And I well, will not get more specific than that, but what is your overall? Because I've never my, seen oh, anything like you know, this before. Yeah, I'll put it very simply. The, this country's on the edge. This could be the end of the democracy as we know it. And Trump's made it clear he's going to be a dictator if he can. And if he puts in all his people, that'll be the end of it. So the election's very important. What do I think? Um, I think some of the prosecutions are ridiculous. Okay, I think prosecuting him in New York on that real estate is a civil suit. I don't know a single person who doesn't lie on a mortgage application if you're getting a mortgage. I don't have mortgages. so, But, you know, everybody lies about their net worth, everything like that. And see, technically, and I've tried cases where no one's gotten hurt, people have lied on applications. And it's a violation of the law, one where people sold houses, made money, the banks made money. I've had a number of those mortgage fraud cases where no one's gotten hurt. But the statute says if you, if you misrepresent, it's a violation of the law. With all the other accusations against him, trying that case first set off, in my mind, 
a lot of people are realizing some stuff is just bullshit. Even if he did it, mm-hmm. no loss, no harm, and you know he's the president, uh, so it's not that great. The thing with the the other ones, I think the two the two federal ones that Smith has are strong, strong cases. And uh, what's going to happen? It's going to divide the country. It's going to be ridiculous. What's what'll go on? Particularly yeah. if he wins the presidency again, which it looks like he might. Well, anything is possible. But I also know that the feds have overall like a 94 percent conviction rate. And I know that federal judges are, are serious. They don't give people a slap on the hand a lot. And no. they will send people to prison. And, yeah. you know, it's something that is such a sensitive topic that you don't really hear much conversation about it um, in the mainstream media these days, one way or another. But people have commented to me, oh, he'll never go to jail. He'll never go to prison. And I'm not so sure about that because, again, not taking sides. Okay, I'm I'm neutral about this. But, you know, if someone gets convicted in federal court of a serious felony, they're going to prison. I mean, is that generally the deal? They're going to prison. And theoretically speaking, they still have Senor Noriega's suites down in Miami. What's that? Well, when Noriega was sentenced, they brought him up here and Hoover sent him to jail. They created a special place for him, uh, uh, rooms, to accommodate a head of state. So he was in a, in a prison uh, setting, but he had a special apartments and stuff like that. So if Trump is convicted of uh, any of these serious uh, cases that you mentioned, do you think he will actually go to prison? No, I think he'll be sentenced to prison. And by the time the appeals and the cert and everything run out, he'll just be too old. He'll be medically impossible. It'd have to be a, a, the parole board would have to let him go. I think they would just have to let him go because of medical necessity, unless he's even stronger than he looks because the guy looks not healthy, but, I mean, he's a bear. Yeah, he seems to just keep going. Yeah, I can't hit a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm all the same age he is, but uh, look at him hit a golf ball and the way he runs around and everything, 18 hours a day. So maybe you get some business out of this podcast. Would you represent him? No. Why not? Because he won't listen. You can't control him. And, you know, Truthfully, I think, I don't know what's going to happen in Atlanta. I know what's-his-name got off the case. Um, the raps, God, I can't think of his name. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank here. But Steve Sadlow, who has the case now, is uh, kind of aligning with Trump. And I know he doesn't support him, but he's aligning with it, you know. And you almost become part of the client. You look at some of his lawyers and some of the stuff they say, they're owned by the guy. Look how many lawyers have been disbarred and reprimanded and suspended because of his lines, trying to please him. What lawyer would want that crap? What lawyer would do that? I mean, I know some prominent lawyers yeah, have gotten know. in trouble. What what drives people to do that? I mean, my take on it is, you know, if you like someone a lot, that can really skew your objectivity. Um, and, you know, to the point of conflating that with what your responsibilities are or with what their liability is. Look at that lady he has. What's her name? Uh, Haba. Haba, the Arab. Oh, another Arab. Arab. She's a Syrian, she says. 
Um, the, the stuff like yesterday, we got the Supreme Court. Uh, he put Kavanaugh in. Kavanaugh owes him. You don't. No lawyers aren't supposed to say stuff like that, even though it's a probably unwritten thought, and and they don't think. And she paid what? Middlebrooks hit her for a million something. Her and Trump for the frivolous lawsuit they filed in the Middle District against Hillary Clinton. Judge Middlebrooks sanctioned her for her and a Trump for the lawsuit they filed. Wow. And they tried something again, and yeah, yeah, they sanctioned them. And they've gotten sanctioned at a number of places. Yeah, so I know he's on pretrial release now. I know we have an election coming up, and I know that uh, there's going to be some conflicting schedules, to put it mildly, mm -hmm. between his campaign commitments and his court commitments. How do you, you know, so, you know, it's as, as much as I'm almost tired of hearing about this and equally concerned, I also know that one year from now, we're going to know a lot. It's, we're going to know the, how the whole thing has played out, it the election and all. It doesn't matter because... He's going to have his supporters, and his support is growing. These prosecutions and everything else, his support is getting is getting higher. He played it brilliantly, not having anything to do with uh, DeSantis or uh, uh, what's Haley. Haley. That was a brilliant move on his part. What, to not show up at debates oh, yeah. and all that? Absolutely. Let them fight it out, then they'll come on killing each other. And uh, the only good thing come out of it is destroy DeSantis. Maybe he'll leave Florida. Hmm. <laughs> <coughs> uh, wow. But, you know, it, it, but uh, I think he's, he's got a good chance of winning if Biden's running. Biden has done a wonderful job and no one knows it. And truthfully, no one gives a shit. People don't want him there. And then this stuff now with uh, the Middle East, the young P doesn't know how to handle that. He has no idea how to handle it. It's, it's driving everybody nuts. And, uh, you know, that, that's a topic that you just can't talk about with anybody. People have their views, and that's the way it's going to be, and you can't change their views, and, 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 and it's just an unapproachable subject. Do you think either one of um, the serious cases with Jack Smith are even defendable cases for him, for Trump? From everything they're putting out there, no. I so, mean, So how's it going to go down? What do you think is going to happen? Where are we going to be a year from now? Probably in Georgia in trial. What about it? Uh, that's the that's the trial that's going to get him. I think they'll try to the, the 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 storing of the documents in Palm Beach. Cannon's going to figure a way to let that go. I think that's pretty much written on on the wall. He'll continue it past till he becomes president, so he can pardon himself. And they're trying now. You saw Smith went berserk because the Eleventh Circuit, I mean the D.C. Circuit. The Supreme Court wouldn't take his emergency petition. Right. So it goes to the D.C. Circuit. They're arguing it January 9th. They're going to issue an opinion as rapidly as they can. They're going to petition for rehearing and rehearing and bank. That's going to take some time. Then they're going to go to the Supreme Court. And if they take their time there, as they do most often, other than they did Nixon and uh, the 20-whatever election it was with Biden and, I mean, with— uh, Bush and Gore. Bush and Gore, mm -hmm. yeah, in 2000. Um they can tie that up just past the election, too. So you think that's what's going to happen? It could. But then he's got to contend with uh, Georgia. So you think Georgia might be the fly in the ointment for Trump? Yeah, Georgia's a strong case. She's flipped how many people? And she has all those tapes. Now they're bringing in the tapes from Wisconsin. So, or, so what happens with all of that? If he gets convicted in Georgia, what do you think is going to happen? He gets sentenced in Georgia, and he does what he has to do. He can get a presidential pardon, but if he's— I don't know if they can pardon uh, 
if he can pardon himself for a state crime? The answer is no. So, so if you think he's going down in Georgia, is he going to be in prison? Is That's, he going to go to nobody prison? Nobody knows. I mean, they'll sentence him to prison, yeah. I think he's, he's got a good chance of taking a fall. That should be his biggest worry. Uh, Smith knows what he's doing. I mean, he's got a, a team that's unbelievable, and they're loading up on everything. Uh, yeah, they seem very well prepared, but, you I know. Mean, uh, Trump, Trump's team seems absolutely desperate. They're moving to hold the guy in contempt for filing a motion in limine. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of absurd. It's not, it's not pushing them to do anything. And the stay was so that the defendant didn't have to burden himself. He doesn't burden himself with a motion in limine. Sometimes you just file motions that make you look foolish. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. where are we going to be in a year? Who do you think is going to be the president? What's your forecast? I don't know. I think well, Biden won by 10 million. Hillary Clinton beat Bush. I mean, Trump. She lost in the Electoral College. And uh, Biden had enough to win the Electoral College. I don't know this time. I think it's going to be in the Electoral College again. Biden will probably have the popular vote. But uh, there may be enough for Trump to get into through the Electoral College. And then what? You think that's the end of democracy? I think it's going to be pretty close. All these Republicans are now excusing January 6th. Yeah, and whether you think it happened or, you know, how you think it happened, they all condemned it. It hasn't gotten any better since January 6th. Lindsey Graham and, 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 and McConnell, well, McConnell still condemns it, but uh, uh, McCarthy and all those people, they all condemn Trump, and within a month they're down kissing his ass in Palm Beach. And now, what is it, 70%, 80% of all Republicans support him? And think January 6th didn't happen? I mean, you watch it on TV and see what happened. Mike Pence, they were going to hang. Yeah. I, re I remember when all of that happened. Yeah. So and how do you how do you forget it? Just say, oh, let's let it go. If that if you know they they didn't impeach him, he's playing that up as if he were innocent, and it was they didn't impeach him because they said he learned his lesson. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Sooner than later. Probably. It's going to be an interesting ride. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting next couple of months, see what the opinions come out of the courts. It will. Yeah. So maybe a year from now I'll have you back on and we'll do a little uh, post-mortem. I'd love to. About this, you know. Um, it's 12. i got to get running in a second. No worries. Uh, well, we're going to do a wrap anyway. So, okay. Fred, thank you so much for coming. I really My appreciate pleasure, it. Russ. I am honored. How'd you like your first podcast? Wonderful. Really? Yeah. I won't watch it because I want to see. I hate what I'd look like or sound like, but... Well, you have a, you know, I've always thought you had a great face for radio, so I think you're going to do fine on the audio part of this podcast. I will use parts of this to promote, um, you know, the podcast and put it on social media. That's okay with you, right? Okay, whatever we got, you do. We got that on tape. And I, you know what, Fred? I don't care either. And on, on that note, thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, this concludes the, um, the Interesting Lawyers podcast. Uh, Fred, you were most interested most interesting, Thank and you. I really appreciate uh, your taking the time to come on. Looks like you got some text messages coming in. Why don't you go take care of that? And we'll move on to our next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Thanks a lot.